Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about AMD's new Zen 4 versus Intel's Raptor Lake. Which one should take your upgrade dollar dollar bills, y'all? Then we head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss making full frame affordable. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been doing? So I have a new item that I got, and I am actually surprised how much I like it. So I bought a new video game controller, and I did it during the Prime sale, which Prime Day sale, whenever that was. I've just been using it for a while to kind of test it out to see if I like it. It's a new game controller from Amazon. They have that Amazon Luna service, and while I don't care about their Luna service, they made a really nice controller that has US, uh, USB-C support and also wireless if you want to. And I'm a big fan of it because it has a lot of nice features. It even has a built-in microphone and audio system that will be detected, at least by my system, automatically, which is fantastic. It's surprisingly good. And the best part about it, the reason I got it anyway, is because it has an Xbox layout. I mean, it's pretty much an Xbox controller clone so used to using an Xbox controller when I switched to the PS5 controller a few, well, almost a year ago, it wasn't as comfortable to me. I tried to give it the time and it just didn't work. So I switched back to Xbox layout and it worked so much better. And then in like two months, the Xbox clone that I originally bought broke because they're not really made that well. And with the Amazon controller. It's been so far so good. So why not go with an Xbox Elite controller since you're so good? I had little air quotes going. People can't see that, but so good at Rocket League and other games. You know, okay. if you're going to go with a pro controller, go with the true pro controller, not some Amazon brand controller that <laughs> no professional game player is going to utilize. So the Xbox controller was out of stock. I was going to get the Xbox controller, but they were out of stock and I couldn't get it. And then I looked at the Luna controller and it had the same layout. And it's also is like $25 because it was on sale during Prime Day. So I figured I might as well give it a shot because it's not that expensive. I mean, right now, if you were to buy it, it would be like a $60 or maybe even more. I can't remember exactly. Oh. And it's, um, I, it, I don't know if it's worth it then. But I think the cost on Prime Day was such a good deal that I had to just try it. So when yeah, I got sense. it, it worked exactly as I was hoping it would. It has the same feel as an Xbox layout, and it works great. So it's funny that you mentioned the Rocket League thing. I was trying not to just, of course, bring up Rocket League because that's the reason I got the controller. The P I wasn't like the PS5 I actually lost skill using it just because the layout was awkward for me. And when I went back to the Xbox layout, which I was the most comfortable with, with this controller, 
it's all my skill came back. And I didn't realize how much of a difference that kind of change just where the thumbstick is, like how much effect that would have, but it's a, a ton. So, so far I like this controller. And my favorite part is that when the PS5 connects with the USB, if the game is already loaded, Steam does not recognize it properly. So it has like a delay. You have to close the game and turn it back on. With the Lunar Controller, none of that stuff happens. It's smooth. I haven't had really any complaints whatsoever with this controller so far. And the microphone system I didn't expect to work totally works out of the box. The real test is really going to be how long it lasts. I know that you have complained that controllers don't seem to hold up for you. And so while all these features are nice, let's see if it beats the average for length of time you use a controller. And then we'll know if it's actually good. Yes. I mean, that is a thing. Uh, for those who have heard me type, apparently I'm an aggressive typer. And I think that also Barry. correlates to the aggressive controller usage because I have broken many. But it turns out Rocket League is just a, depending on where you play, how you're playing it, high tier play of Rocket League, we change the controller mechanisms to use certain keys for certain things. And one of the things that I found out is the Xbox controllers the RB and LB buttons are made very terribly. Like they're super weak and easy to break. And I've seen it, I've broken multiples. And the original Xbox control, like the main one, like the Xbox core, that one took me like a year to break. But then I got this one that it was like a knockoff. I don't remember the name of it or whatever, but it died within like two months. So that was way worse, obviously. But so far, I don't see any signs that it's losing it because usually... I've, got, I've done it so many times I can actually feel when it starts to happen. I just wanted to make it clear I'm not the only person with the same problem because of Rocket League players have posted on Twitter and stuff like that that it happens to them too because the way the Xbox controllers are weakly built in terms of the RB and LB because you're not supposed to be using it for a dominant key, I guess. And with us, we use it pretty significantly. So it's interesting. I always thought it was because most Rocket League players are between six and nine years old and they end up throwing their controller <laughs> and that's why they don't last long. But it's interesting to know there are people older than that playing Rocket League. Most are 14 to 19. How dare you? <laughs> I'm still I'm still a little bit older than the than the usual. I'll I will say that. So Wendy, what have you been up to in the hardware world? I've actually been playing with my robot a little bit more. So I have two laptops set up, if you've listened to the last episode of Linux Out Loud, that I have put Fedora on, and I'm using that as our systems for writing code on. Now, the downside I've had is every time you make a small change to the code, you'd have to replug in the robot to the computer, relink it, send the code over, and unplug it. And I could see this over time and really not taking too much time at all, but degrading that port to where it was no longer going to be tight when the plug went in. And the bigger problem would be no longer being able to charge the core of this robot. So I spent some time this week and thanks to Brandon from the pseudo show after an episode of Destination Linux, just throwing out all the show title names right here, he suggested a link on how to get that to work. I now have that communication going between the two pieces of hardware. It's working on 
the teacher account. It's working on the student account on both of those laptops. I have it working on my main system and everything syncing all around each other. I am ready for tomorrow when we meet for the first time with our new robot setup for this game and we'll be able to make sure that everything's running smoothly, that robots are working without using the plug. I'm so excited. That's so awesome. I love that you're working with all of these robotics and things. And these aren't inexpensive robotics you're messing with either. The other day we were talking about some other robotics on the show that were quite pricey in my mind. And then I found out some of the stuff you're working with is several hundred dollars and yep. way higher than that even. So you're working with some, with some advanced robotics. Which is your favorite kit for people to check out based on all the robotics you've played with thus far? I've really only got to play with a Spike Prime set from Lego. My younger son will be joining a robotics team and they will using the Spike Essential set. So the brick, the main core, the brain of the robot is just a little bit smaller. But I've absolutely loved this robot. You can get a Mindstorm, which is essentially the exact same as the Spike Prime in the non-education package for quite a bit cheaper. So if you are liking some of the things that the Spike Prime does, you can still get that, code it in Python on a Linux system, Windows system, Mac system, all of them work and have it good to go. If you decide that you want to pick up a Spike Prime or a Mindstorm and get all of that running in Linux, I can show you exactly how I do it. I'd like to get either a video or a document put together to share how I've got that to work. So when somebody else comes along to do it, they don't have to do so much digging to find those steps and have it ready to go. Nice. I absolutely love mechanical keyboards. I don't think I could ever buy me another keyboard that wasn't mechanical for either of the systems that I use every day. You've just picked up another one. I'm really excited to hear about this, Ryan. So I have had this debate of which keyboard I was going to pick up after we had the System76 situation with their launch. Really wasn't for me. And currently, I went back to my Rowcat keyboard that I had, which I like. It's been a good keyboard. Michael, you've used it when you've been at my house. But I want something a little bit smaller. The Rowcat's a full-size keyboard. One is something that's maybe 10 keyless. And I keep hearing people talk a lot about Ducky keyboards. Yeah. So I ended up picking a Ducky 1-3 Daybreak, 10 keyless, hot swappable, RGB, double shot, PBT, quack mechanical keyboard <laughs> up. Of course, yeah, the that's Ducky a lot. keyboard has the name quack. Why not? Quack in it. I mean, how adorable is that? <laughs> Uh, I'm waiting for this keyboard to arrive, but I want to put it in the show notes because of its very, very unique look and design. This is very different from the type of keyboard I would typically go pick up. Yes. It's kind of got this blue hue. It's got RGB vomit everywhere, Wendy, to your love and joy. Um, <laughs> but Ducky's very well known for having a very high quality mechanical keyboard with hot swappable sockets and keys in there. So you can change these things out as you want. It has three levels of adjustable feet, detachable braided USB-C cable in there, and it's got an improved PCB design, 
V2 stabilizers and a remapped macro layout, which is one of the things that we had a problem with with the launch keyboard is no macro capability. So I'm right. hoping with the ducky and some of the software, we'll be able to do some macros that we can set up with this as well. So it'll be interesting to see how well it works in Linux to see how I like the quality of a ducky keyboard because for years I've been hearing about them. I've never owned a ducky before. But this will be my first duck experience. I'm very Frack. curious of what, <laughs> wow. I'm very curious what you think about the duckies because I have also heard a lot about them. Even though I'm not a hardware person, I have done a lot of research into mechanical keyboards after Ryan convinced me that mechanical keyboards are the only tiny keyboard I want for the rest of existence. Truth. Yeah, and it was funny because Ryan said, just try it. I think in 15 minutes you'll like it. It took five minutes, and now I am stuck with it. But what's cool about it is that you can have so many different options. You can tweak the mechanical keyboard style, like whatever you want. There's so much that you can expand on with it, and I really like that. And I'm looking at the ducky that you got. That's linked in the show notes. And I have to say I'm surprised that it's so ugly. <laughs> Like no, you shouldn't be surprised it's so ugly because I pick ugly things. I like <laughs> ugly looking things, and this this is a hideously colored keyboard, and it's perfect for me. It's hideous blue with yellows and grays randomly thrown about. It's hideous. It's not the most ugly color scheme ever, but for a keyboard and the way they do it, it's not great. And the fact that they have all this excessive color RGB stuff on top of it just makes it worse. Right. I mean, if, if you didn't have RGB, maybe it'd be okay looking. Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> but it's still, it's still weird. But I am very curious about what you think because I've seen not only people like duckies, like many cases, I've also seen that, they're make, that people have made knockoff duckies. Like and there's there's even reviews on YouTube of people specifically talking about the knockoff duckies because the duckies are so good, but they don't want to spend the money for it. So I'm very curious. Price wise, this really isn't much different than the Cooler Master keyboard that I have. This one has the advantage of having the hot swappable keys. I'm definitely not a fan of these keycaps. I also have RGB in my keyboard, but I want the light to come through the keycaps, not necessarily around the keycaps. So this isn't my style in that way, or the fact that I do love a full-size keyboard. I, I love my number pad, having the media keys on there. So even though I wouldn't necessarily get this one, I am curious overall how you like the quality of them, because I might be getting one of these in a full size form factor with some different keycaps because I would love to replace the one that I have. It's got the blue switches. When I bought them, I'm like, oh yeah, I absolutely love these, the click and the feedback. Now, when I'm working late <laughs> at night and Magneto's asleep and every time you hit a button, it sounds like you're breaking glass. <laughs> yeah, I would like to go with a brown switch. So I still have the feedback, but no sound to it. They also have some versions like Silent Reds, which is a new trend I'm seeing with a lot of these type of keyboards of getting that Silent Red. And that sounds amazing to me because it has that tactile feel of the red, Cherry Reds, but supposedly without all of the clickety-clack that can come with the red. So that would be an interesting one to try out. Yeah, love the feedback. With my aggressive <laughs> typing, 
Challenge accepted. You have to put O-rings underneath the keycaps in order to keep them from bottoming out because that's half the sound you get or more than half the sound you get when you're typing because you're slamming those keys into the base plate. Well, I mean, it's not that bad. It's kind of that bad, but I... It's that bad. It's probably... I agree with your statement about the keys having translucent labels on it because I think that makes it look so much better when you see the light through the keys. And that's mm -hmm. another reason why I wouldn't want to get this. But I agree completely that with those changes, I would be very interested in a ducky as well. And also probably a full size. I don't really care about the numpad necessarily because I, I'm, I'm okay with getting like a separate numpad. It doesn't have to be attached to the keyboard. Probably my best would be like the 10K, the 10, TKL, 10 keyless. That's what it's called, right? Where it's, just, it's the same, but just without the numpad. That's what this is, is TKL. Yeah, yeah 10 keyless. Yeah. yeah, I'd be okay with this for the most part as long as I had a, a numpad that I could use when I need to or my macro keyboard. You know, I already have that anyway, so I could just use that. But the fact that this has built-in macro features, I am super excited to learn more about it. So uh, I, uh, I hope that you will be able to have enough time with it too for the next episode. We can give more, more information about your experience. Yeah, and it has dip switches on it, which really got me excited. Because anytime I can have special secret switches, even if they don't do anything that I'll ever need, it just makes me happy to have extra switches there. Like I could do the dip switch to enable the Windows key or make it a lock function instead. I can turn on the six key rollover or turn Ooh. it off. It's, you know, whatever I want, ducky vendor ID, or I can have my own user defined VID by just simply flipping a switch a dip switch does your keyboard have dip switches no it no, doesn't sadly mine does yes mine <laughs> does mine will soon maybe if i if i like your review now for something i know i like DigitalOcean is a fantastic service this episode of hardware x is brought to you by digital ocean Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you get a comprehensive portfolio of storage, compute, databasing, networking products, all sorts of stuff that puts your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. For example, the marketplace get all these different apps that easily set up with just a few clicks to get a droplet running and going. It is fantastic, and I use it all the time. We use it to do many different things with the network, and it is just amazing. And that's one of the great things that you can get with DigitalOcean. And also, DigitalOcean helps you regardless of the size of your team, where you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 60-day free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. You know what I love? A good CPU war. I mean like the old school CPU wars of yesterday where we actually had stock of CPUs so the war actually mattered because you could get your hands theoretically on one or the other. And I think 
I believe we are finally coming back around to this time where we can actually get our hands on the cool things we're talking about. So in the news this week, all over the tech news, we're hearing about this war that's heating up between AMD and Intel. Now, there are a lot of fanboyisms, guesses, exaggerations, hopes, and even some innovations sprinkled all over this news because neither has officially launched, but there are all kinds of different leaks of benchmarks and and just every piece of info that anybody can grab out of here. It's kind of that kind of excitement of a war again happening between AMD and Intel. AMD coming at the end of September and Intel coming in October with the Raptor Lake is going to be very interesting. So if we dig a little bit deeper on our fight card here for the night, we have on one side... Let's see the tail of the, the tape. The tail of the <laughs> tape. The new Ryzen 7005 nanometer with 3D vCache. And on the other side, the competitor of the Intel Raptor Lake using their monolithic die and a revamped x86 hybrid architecture with a mix of efficiency and performance cores like we've seen from the Apple M1 and other ARM-based designs. So this is very interesting because you have two very different design ideas going up against each other. You have AMD with their chiplet design and you have Intel with their monolithic design, but here's the thing. Intel still stuck on 10 nanometer. And that's not everything, but AMD is using TSMC's five nanometer. That means you could put a lot of different kinds of chiplets, lots of different dyes. There's just a lot of cool things AMD is able to do that Intel can't. What do you guys think just hearing overall this kind of design concepts between Intel and AMD. Are you guys, I know you've been AMD for a while now. Are you kind of feeling that pull towards Intel? Curious what Intel's up to at all? I have to say, I'm kind of excited the way that Intel has named this die monolithic die. They're not downsizing. They're still at 10 nanometer. So why not just own it? And I love the way that sounds. Yeah, we're using a monolithic die, using the big little architecture, and watch what we can bring. Boom. There you go. I think it's very interesting that Intel and AMD are back at the wars again. And I, I'm okay with Intel doing a different approach as long as what they're doing is worthy of the cost that they charge. And I have no idea if it is or not until, well, I mean, until we get it out in the market. There's no one knows. But it's, I don't necessarily think that the monolithic thing is going to be an instant killer for them but i think that it has a possibility of being a negative in terms of like the perception that people have with amd because you know fighting out of the red corner is amd and they have yeah. a lot of extra you know you know prowess in the multiple cores and the different parallel computations you can do Whereas fighting out of the blue corner is Intel, and they might not have the full reach advantage, but I do think that they have a lot of potential in this fight. Nice. The reach advantage was a good touch there. <laughs> yeah, monolithic 
if you want to dive a little bit into what that means, an AMD desktop processor is using the chiplet design, which we kind of mentioned. You have multiple pieces of silicone connected through wires and the green PCB in order to create a single processor. While they have things like Infinity Fabric, which you'll hear a lot about, there's still a latency penalty for that because you've got different chips that you have to connect. They're physically separated. But AMD has managed to make all this work really well and lots of room to spare using seven nanometer, now five nanometer there to make that less of an issue. Now, when you look at the monolithic design that Intel's using, you've got all your cores, cache, graphics, IO on a single die. There's less latency because everything there is kind of stacked on top of each other instead of being beside each other. However, there is an issue with yields, which we've talked about before. If there's any defect in any part of the monolithic design, the whole thing has to be thrown out. So if you have AMD situation where you have chiplets, right? You could just say, oh, there's a flaw here. Let's remove that chip and put another different chip back in. Whereas Intel's chip, if there's a failure anywhere in there, that whole thing has to be thrown out. But AMD isn't so great with these new technologies because they haven't had them for so long. Whereas Intel, They've been sticking with 10 nanometer here. So their amount of yield that they're expected to lose is almost nothing because they've just got a lot of experience with 10 nanometer. So while it seems like it could be a big deal that would increase a lot of cost, Intel doesn't think so. Really, when you think about the two different types of architecture between Intel and AMD, it's like, do you want a giant monolithic cupcake or 12 small cupcakes, which is better? <laughs> We know they wouldn't be muffins, right? No, no muffins. Absolutely <laughs> I can't not. believe we're, we're bringing this into pure the show. Cupcakes here. So muffins are the best, by the way. For those who are not uh, listeners of Destination Linux, uh, Ryan and I have a debate going about cupcakes versus muffins. He thinks cupcakes are better. I think muffins are better. Better. You can choose what you think and let us know in the comments of the show and on the forum because obviously it's muffins. So I agreed. The audience just said that they all agree with muffins. So. There you go. It's weird because science agrees that cupcakes are better, but wait a minute. Now that you've wait a minute, you said twelve cupcakes or one giant cupcake. Isn't that just like a cake? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a giant cupcake is just a cake. (laughs) I think you're right. When we look at the specs that are rumored, this may pique your interest a little more. With AMD, you have cores and threads, sixteen cores, thirty-two threads, kind of being rumored. Nothing super different there. Intel's looking at eight performance cores, 16 efficiency cores, or 24 cores and 32 threads. Peak clock speed for AMD rumored at about 5.7, but Intel rumored to hit 6.0. So Fancy. Intel 5.8 to 6.0. 6.0 gigahertz. 6 gigahertz would be pretty amazing because 5 gigahertz is kind of just... Yeah. I've just seen that being achieved, so that would be pretty amazing if they're doing that. I remember the um, the big deal about one gigahertz, where it was like some kind of conference where they had to put it on like blocks of ice to make it work, and now we're talking about six gigahertz. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's wild. And there are some rumors, too, that with some work, you can get the AMD to six gigahertz, and at 5.7 peak, I would think that's probably pretty accurate if you had the right cooling there. Now, TDP, we know about the power usage. AMD's known for using less power there. AMD's TDP is 170 to 230 watts. Intel, 125 to 241. So higher high-end, 
but much lower low end, and that's because of those efficiency cores that they're using there. There's also a rumor that Intel is going to kind of be bringing back the turbo boost. So there's a rumor that you'll be able to really turn up the TDP on that and get some amazing performance boost out of it, kind of like how turbo used to work. You're basically overclocking it. I've seen that in multiple articles talking about that. So it may be true. We get a turbo button, which if you weren't around during the turbo button days, they were amazing. I can't wait. And make sure you got a good cooler. Very yeah. good cooler. If they bring back the turbo boost option and we don't get a turbo button, I'll be incredibly disappointed. We need the button back. It was so, I didn't even know what it did, but I pressed it no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like I want, if I get the turbo button back, then I also want a computer case that looks like Kit from Knight Rider. Yes. And then that way I've got this full 80s retro thing going theme, you know, like Kit Turbo. <laughs> I that that sounds awesome though. I want this Knight Rider thing. That sounds awesome. I don't even if it doesn't have the turbo button. I still want a Knight Rider case. That uh, that sounds fantastic with the, like the light. You have going a little back light that's like choo choo yes. choo choo. Yes, or yeah. or like a Cylon that does the same, but in silver. That would be cool. That'd be dope. Now here's gonna be where I think people are really gonna start picking teams based on some of this information I'm about to talk about. AMD is DDR5 memory only. There's no backwards compatibility, no DDR4 support. And that's very expensive. A lot of people just getting to DDR4 RAM just spent their money on that. Whereas Intel, if you go with their design, you can use the DDR4 or DDR5 RAM on their motherboards there. And so that to me is going to be a big difference when you talk about cost. AMD is going to be PCIe 5.0 with 24 lanes. Intel is going to be PCIe 5.0 with 16 lanes there, also having 4.0 support. So when we look at the Raptor Lake, one of the other things is you're not going to have to upgrade your motherboard if you're currently using that socket LGA 1700. Whereas on AMD, you will need a new motherboard. So now we've got new motherboard and we have a new processor you're going to need and you're going to need new RAM. So it really starts adding up real quick if you're wanting to go with that AMD route. Whereas Intel, if you're already on that bandwagon, you already have one of their 12th gen, you're going to be able to upgrade this to the latest version, which I think gives them an advantage and you get to keep your DDR4 RAM until you're ready to spend some more money on DDR4. And especially as you're looking at overall cost of building a computer, it makes so much more sense to be able to upgrade certain pieces at a time. And I see Intel getting the edge right here, especially for established Intel users. Me, as AMD, I would almost have to rebuild my entire system. Of course, I could keep the case and I could probably keep the cooler. I'm sure it will adjust to this new socket but the rest of the internals would have to go new motherboard new ram new cpu that gets really really expensive quite fast and as you mentioned ddr5 right now is through the roof when it comes to price there's no way i could have remotely as much ram in my system in making that jump with having to buy new ram plus factoring in the cost of that new RAM. 
Yeah, in addition, they're saying these new X670 motherboards you're going to need for AMD. There's the rumor that they saw the price tag for the Asus model pop up in a German website, and it was $1,400 for that variation oh. for that motherboard. Now, we don't know if that's going to be the case or if there's going to be an X570 or something a little cheaper that people can get their hands on, so you might not get all the performance you get out of the X670, but... The rumor is this boards are going to be really, really expensive. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that because we are kind of dealing with an economy that's not exactly known for its strength and people are not spending frivolously right now. So I'm not sure that would be a really good move to come out with being a much higher priced. Now that's not AMD's typical move. So it'd be surprising. But again, those are kind of the rumors that are coming around with regards to these two Goliaths going up with against each other. I'm very interested in going an Intel route because I, I still think AMD will be king ultimately simply because of their chiplet design and a lot of the work that they've been doing on this five nanometer. At the same time with Intel, what interests me with them is they're usually their single core performance is so superior to what you get in the AMD world. This may not be the case with this run, that's usually what you get, but to me, the upgrade costs being lower because of that one generation backwards compatible with RAM and things makes it interesting enough for me to want to try out just by itself right there. So I think my next build will probably be a Raptor Lake just for the fun of it. Not necessarily because it will be the fastest, although I would not be surprised if we see that Intel actually is slightly faster than the AMD. Or vice versa. Neither one would surprise me. I think these are going to be really close fight. Yeah, based on the specs, I think that the, you know, which one is going to be the ultimate best fighter is different than which one is going to win in the market because there's a lot of potential to or and reasons to go Intel. That, that DDR4 versus DDR5 upgrade requirement pr might hurt AMD. It might be hurting AMD. And I think with the the market choosing which one they're going to go with, I think it's going to be really interesting to see which comes out on top in the octagon. Price to performance is a really big deal to me. So when I'm looking through these two different platforms, right now I'm also leaning towards Intel because one, the price is already going to be higher with the AMD on a new build because the additional hardware you have to have once all of this stuff comes out and you can work through what is the actual performance of these two things, what does it cost to upgrade the system? Because like I am AMD right now, so I'd still need a new motherboard to go with the CPU, but the RAM I have right now would be usable. So I'm kind of curious how that breaks down in the price performance layout. I love that you brought up price for performance because ultimately that should be the number people look at. I think a lot of times people get caught up on which one has the highest gigahertz or which one had a 1% advantage in a specific video game than the other. But the reality is that price per performance is one of the best ways to measure whether you're getting your money's worth. A lot of times too, because there's a silicon lottery that's a big part of it. So just because someone's sitting on stage and they're getting a 32% faster performance, doesn't actually mean the processor you're going to get, even if you built their identical system, 
will also be giving you that same performance. And we've talked about that on the show before, that there is a lottery system to the silicon that you're getting, and especially right now with all of the issues we've had with supply chain. So when you look at price per performance, either way, you're going to be getting a good deal for what they're giving you, and that's a good thing to look at. I just want to mention before we leave this topic, too, that Intel did something that if you remember back in the day, Michael, when people were telling me I was wrong that nanometers mattered and I was wrong that cash mattered, that AMD was adding in, it turns out I was right. Well, Intel also took notice because they have upped their cache, their L3 cache to 36 megabytes, which is a 20% increase. And they put 2.3 times more L2 cache on their system as well and their CPU. So that to me shows you, and they're going with the PCIe 5.0, which if you remember, they made fun of when AMD went with the 4.0. So it seems like Intel's starting to learn some lessons here, some important lessons about catching up with some of the gains that AMD did have. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point. I think that you know Intel is learning about like they're trying to fight the fight rather than just kind of sit back and see what happens because you're, that's always a losing game, right? And I think that you know pound for pound, AMD probably has a little bit of an advantage here, but Intel has an underrated ground game. I love the commentary. You're like the Joe Rogan <laughs> of hardware addicts. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right, so we will see. These two Goliaths are about to collide. September, October is not that far away. We're about to see what both of these come out with. It will be interesting if AMD drops first. Will Intel utilize that in their pricing strategy to come in cheaper? One of the first times ever in the CPU world that I can remember in which Intel could compete on price if they wanted to and really sink AMD. Number one, because AMD's taking the stage first. And number two, because it would absolutely shock the market to see Intel come out here and come with an amazingly aggressive price point would be really exciting to building their fan base back. So that's something I'm kind of thinking maybe could happen. That would be a lot of fun to see. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden, and we are so excited to see them. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation plus Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you're going to want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project and sign up for that premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about making full frame affordable again. It's full frame. That's impossible. It's not supposed to be affordable. Yes, it really should be. 
We've done some speculation here in the main body of the show, and now we're going to have some fun with speculation in Camera Corner. Recently, Sony and Nikon have mentioned that they are getting rid of some of the point-and-shoot cameras that they're making, and they're not bringing back replacements. But Canon has been listening to the people as they're talking about, A, cameras have gotten really expensive, as you talked about, especially in the economy that we're dealing with. There's a lot of stuff that people aren't buying. So one thing that Canon had recently done was do some price drops on some of their camera gear, mainly the EOS R7 and the EOS R10. Now, these two are not full-frame cameras. They are the crop sensor, but it's nice seeing that these nicer, dedicated, mirrorless cameras are seeing a bit of a price drop. Now, there is going to be a replacement for their EOS R. This is their more high-end mirrorless camera body. And when the first one launched, the EOS R6, it was around $2,500 US, definitely more on the steep side, nowhere near entry level. And there's some rumors that this newer one could be closer to the $1,500 range, maybe a little bit less, so $1,000 less than this previous model. What do you guys think about what Canon is doing with potentially some of their pricing. I think Canon and Nikon and these brands that have kind of existed on the reputation for a long time and in the camera corner, camera corner, huh, in the camera community, it's very tight. And so when somebody says, I recommend you get into Nikon or I recommend you get a Canon, usually whoever they're training is their Padawan, if you will. They're going to take on whoever the person is who trained them in photography was utilizing. And then people get real stubborn on the brands. One of the things that I noticed, though, is that brand loyalty has been slowly kind of fading away as people, I wouldn't say new entry, but new technology has come. Companies like Sony have really started to take in more of the professional camera individual's interest. And there's just a lot of other types of cameras or companies that are making cameras that are capturing people's attention and interest. I even think of that. Is it red camera out there that everybody talks about? It's yeah. like super, super expensive, um, yeah. usually used for filming and things like that. But there's just a lot of different options now. And so I think when it comes to Nikon and Canon, it's really important for them to come in and take these cameras that their their professional line of cameras, you know, can go from five to seven thousand dollars for just the body. I think honestly, in this day and age, with the equipment that they're putting into those cameras, it's a ludicrous price. It costs nowhere near that for them to manufacture, especially since a lot of this technology is like six, seven years old. And especially when you have other people coming in and doing really unique things with mirrorless and stuff, you've got to, you've got to change the way that you're approaching your customers. And so from, in my opinion, if this is true and Canon is able to get these professional line of mirrorless cameras under that $2,000 mark, frankly, under that thousand dollar mark, 
I think it's going to be key to capturing people's interest uh, and keeping it with these type of cameras, especially if you go after the vloggers, bloggers, and those type of things, which I think is going to be where you're going to sell most of your cameras at this point. You might still have your wedding photographers and other professional photographers, but I'm guessing the vast majority of their sales are from vloggers and YouTubers. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's a, a good prediction of like how many people, what type of person is going to get these kind of cameras. But Wendy, let's say someone doesn't know what a full frame camera is. I'm not, I'm not saying me, but let's just pretend that there's someone in the audience that doesn't know it. Could you explain for me, I mean them, what a full frame camera is? Absolutely. A full frame camera uses a sensor that's the exact same size as 35 millimeter film. Ah, yes, I knew that. So I'm glad that the audience does too now. Thanks. <laughs> so, Wendy, what do you think about my take on it? I mean, you know the industry better than anybody. You're actually in it. Do you think this is a good move for them? I think it is a fantastic move for them. I've been recommending Sony for a very long time, a few years now, because of that price to performance thing that Sony has been putting out there. They've been king of the hill when it comes to the mirrorless cameras. They pretty much beat everybody out of the gate when it came to a professional mirrorless camera. And now you do have a lot of people doing different content where they're using video. We've seen a lot of cameras over the last couple of years that are geared towards those people in vlogging situation, YouTuber situations. And I think Canon is finally realizing that we do want to keep our professional photographer community happy, but if we don't have good options, affordable options for the people that say, hey, I want something more than what's on my cell phone camera, or I would like something that I can make content with that has good picture quality, that I can be able to zoom in and not have something pixelated, we need something in that line. And I think it's really been lacking. Most people can't go pick up a $2,000 camera body, not including a lens. And then when you start adding lenses onto that, it can really feel overwhelming and outrageous. So I don't want to make any promises that Canon is going that way, but I'm really hoping these rumors are true. I think overall it would be good for the company and the industry as a whole to have some of those different options. I've been wanting someone to really compete with Sony in their market. Sony's done a great job having a range of prices in those mirrorless cameras that still take incredible footage and incredible images. Nikon has a line of mirrorless cameras, but they're definitely more expensive. Canon may be getting there. We may have an AMD to Canon's quote-unquote Intel. Nice. I like it. Well, I am very excited about that because I love getting my hands on any camera that is as good as the Sony camera that you recommended to us that we utilize for our shows, A6400, A6300. I've got two of them now. I love them so much. I, I just, the Sony did so good on combining everything I want from a picture, but also all the things I need from a video perspective. 
So the idea that Canon, and I heard you say you promise Canon's going to do it, Wendy. So thank you for making that guarantee <laughs> to our listeners. Thanks for putting words in my mouth. Yeah, I love it. That Canon will come in and try to compete with that, I think, is a good thing. Because Sony, they're killing it right now. They're killing it. Well, that's it. Our 67th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to this show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to tuxdigital.com and check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Undisputed Champion of Hardware Podcast, and we'll see you next time for another spinning leg kick episode of Hardware Addicts where we always get the TKO. Man, we really went with that fight. I just jumped on and just went with it. Like you just loved it. As soon as as soon as you made the reference to the MMA joke, I'm like, I can't. I've got to do this. I have no choice.